it's taken me a long time, even after Chase's death, to to become more understanding and and not being judgmental of people who have an addiction or are struggling with substance use disorder. And now. I'm the captain now. Coming to you from the K2 Studios in San Diego, California. This sounds great. You sound amazing. I always sound amazing. It's the world famous. Everybody sit off like BFS. Chris and Christine Show. What's happening? How are you doing today? You know, thank you so much for being here. And I am Chris. And I'm Christine. And welcome to episode 162 of the Chris and Christine Show. Do, 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 do. Oh, fantastic. We're getting the back in the captain's seat again. All we're doing this all over again. The captain's seat, that would be over on this side of the room because I'm the captain now. <laughs> you are the captain now. Captain Christine. That's what you call it. The Captain Crunch, really. Yep. Captain Crunch. I am a little bit crunchy today. Crunchy, feisty, sassy, whatever you want to call it. Well, it's been a while since we've been doing this podcast. So uh, It's you, been a week. How? Where have you been and what world travel destinations have you been to, babe? Um, the couch, to the office, to the couch, to the office. And that's basically it. All I've been doing is eating, sleeping, and working I've been just traveling around the county for my regular day job, but oh, it has been a spell. I mean, it's been, it's busy right now. It's our busy season. We call it in education, March Madness, which kind of is funny because there's actual basketball March Madness. Right, there is, yeah. But always in education, the month of March is like so, so crazy busy. Why is it busy? Because it's right before the end of the year or beginning of the year? It's right before state testing starts, but it's right when like all of districts are starting to try and finalize their strategic plans and their spend down. Well, strategic plans for the next year. They're trying to spend down all of their funds for this year. And so people are requesting additional professional learning. It's also when the state comes out with their annual, it's called differentiated assistance list. It's the list of districts that are required to get state assistance and we have to provide it within like four months. And so we have to like jump into like specific types of technical support and leadership support for our districts all while they're getting ready to gear up for the next year. And everybody is trying to figure out like, what to do now that the test results are out. It's just a crazy time. Kids get a little crazy at the school sites in the month of March. They start to get antsy. And then we have spring break coming. So it really is March madness. It's like a perfect storm. March and October are always crazy months in schools, in school districts. No way. It does yep. sound like a crazy time. It so, is. Um, I was going to say is that, is it kind of like when you have this big deadline and everything's like thrown in your lap last minute yes. you're like, and you're like, oh my goodness, it, it, we got, we got so much to do. It's like when yep. you're, if you're closing house and you're in the um, escrow business or the real estate business and it's like weeks before escrow is supposed to close and they're like rushing to get everything done. Oh, yep. this paperwork you forgot to sign or, or this one thing on the house needs to be fixed before the new movers come in, like our old house happened. Yeah. You know? It's exactly like that. It's just. I am leading a couple of really big projects that have overlap overlapping deadlines. And so I've been uh I've been working until like so I work my regular job and then I finish my meetings during the day which the meetings have been back to back and I've been doing 
paperwork or PowerPoint design or materials um, creation, like resource creation for our districts. I've been working on average until like 1130 or at night or 1230 in the morning. And then, you know, getting up at six. um, And then like Saturday I had to work. I had to drive out and work at a school district out in East County because we were doing a community convening. So I was up on Saturday at like 545 worked all day. It's just, it's a lot right now. So, you know, we've been, you've been very gracious to give me a little hall pass for podcasting. Yeah. So Christine hasn't been feeling well and I, I respect that. You know, there's times where I've been feeling well and I just don't feel like doing anything and I get that. So I told Christine, she's hey. tired. Uh, well, yeah. And I, I'm like, you know what, babe, whenever you feel like doing the podcast, you want to get back in the saddle, we, we'll do it. You know, the podcast can wait. Your health is what it's important, babe. Uh, yeah, you say that. But then tonight, as I'm sitting there, I've been, I was working on the computer while we were watching the Oscars for the entire time. I took a break for dinner time, but like five hours of work. And I'm sitting there trying to finish up dropping in my 30th PowerPoint into a folder. And you're like, hey, babe, I have a question. I was like, well, I, I didn't already, ask you that question. I was though. like, I already know what your question is. Can you just wait until this singer on American Idol finishes? And I have this last PowerPoint to drop in the folder. I already knew what the question was. And I was already going to say, okay, you were patient last week. I'll do it this week. Well, you know what? Um, well, thank you. You're welcome. Yes, you're all welcome. It's a really. sacrifice for all of you. All of our listeners, we love you. Yeah, well, I love you. Christine loves you all this week, but I love you every week. So. Oh, you sneaky sneak. <laughs> well, what's been new and happening in your world? Well, let's see. The weather, really, the rain. You know, I don't know what... Really? That's I, where you go? I, I don't know what city we live in right now because I thought it was San Diego, but... You know what? It turns out we actually live in Seattle now because the Seattle, oh, goodness. the weather for Seattle just all of a sudden it's like gloomy and rainy. And what happened? You know, like it's been crazy. Didn't our accountant say that it's like forty-eight counties out of fifty-four in California are flood zones now? I think so. I, I think we are officially out of the drought. I think we're it's official now. I believe. Do you I, think so? Well, I'm I don't listen, know. I'm no meteorologist. I'm no archaeologist, and I'm no um. What's the person who tracks water? What are they called? Oh, oh meteorologist. No, the tracks like actually water that we uh, collect. I a waterologist. A, a wellian. A well, wellian. <laughs> <laughs> is that what it is? So I, I'm not one of those. So I don't know all that fancy stuff. But an I, aqua something. Right. Aquaman. I, yeah, maybe that's what it is. You know, Aquaman, mm-hmm. Aqueducts. But uh, the weather's been nuts. And, um, you know, uh, uh, Mason has, he's in Little League this year. And today, well, actually yesterday being Saturday, he was supposed to have his opening ceremonies and his opening, like, first games. Like right. the big, it's like the big deal. deal. All the teams are there. All the people are there. And it got rained out yesterday because of the weather. So they decided to postpone it till today. And then today we go there and it finds out that they're not going to do any games, but they're all the kids are going to get dressed up. They're doing their photos. Photos. It's the everybody beats everybody. It's the uh, grand entrance for all the teams. They run through this big arch thing and then they get to like take pictures and they get to like, you know, meet all their friends. And there's like a big hangout. They had prizes. They had raffle prizes. They had Mm -hmm. a DJ there making music and doing announcements. And they had a few crafts for sale. And they had a snack bar was open. They had breakfast burritos. I had one of those this morning. 
And, um, but it was muddy and it was wet out there. So it was kind of, but it, w- it was clear though. It didn't have any rain. So that Do they was have good. like bleachers for everybody to sit in? There are some bleachers people can sit in. There's uh, every baseball field actually has its own set of bleachers. They're not very big. They're like a mm-hmm. smaller bleachers, but they're like probably 10 rows up maybe. I'm oh, guessing. well that's plenty. Yeah. But they're not very wide though. They're kind of narrow really. So they're designed for like, I mean. Well, I was just wondering like, if we go, do we have to take our own seats no. or, oh, okay. But if you want to feel, be comfortable, maybe you want to bring your own chair. Cause that's oh, just okay. metal bleachers, no backing to them or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And the snack bar was there. It was actually a pretty good size there. It's actually a big snack bar. They had a full like menu there, all kinds of stuff. And um, yeah, they've got like, I think how many fields they actually have probably like five or six fields. It was funny when I parked the car, the truck, I actually parked in the very back of the property because they were so, so busy there, right? Right. So up at the very back and I never been back that far. So I go back over there. It's kind of muddy. I'm like, hey, maybe I'll do some four-wheel drive when, when I'm over here. But um, <laughs> they have like this old abandoned baseball field back there. And you can t- I tell it's abandoned because there's like weeds that are like four feet tall, mm-hmm. like growing everywhere. And the field hasn't been like, you know, leveled or whatever. You can tell there was a, the, out, the, the fence line of a field. Because in the very back, they have what the um, the numbers for how far the um, like they have in the oh base- yeah like the baseball stadiums yeah like how the, far each how uh, many feet or meters or whatever right and they had an actual like the old fashioned score scoreboards in the back along the fence line and that was abandoned too that's cool but it looked really big like I'm thinking telling Jacob today I'm like this must be where like the grownups played softball or something because it's like a it's not a standard little league field it's like a big field well why did they let go of it if it's such a good space. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe because they focus more on the little kids stuff. Because I think that they um, they go up to 12 years old. as like the oldest, oh. I believe, or in that league or that spot there. So they kind of focus on that. But it's a big, giant field. And I was looking, I was like, wow, it's like abandoned. But because uh, it's way bigger than the other fields they have yeah. there. So, um, but oh, maybe- wait, I have a question. Yeah, I have a very up? important question. Yeah. So for... I was thinking about baseball because we're getting ready to have opening day for regular baseball season on March 30th. When the Padres come back from spring training, which I know they're in Peoria, Arizona right now, and rumor is that they are doing very, very well in spring training. But I was wondering when they come back, do they have a separate practice field or do they do all of their practices at Petco? You know, it's a good question. I do not know for sure. I'm pretty sure they probably practice at some field somewhere. Like you think about when the Chargers were here in town, they never practiced at the stadium. Where they did had, they practice? Char- it's called Chargers Park, I believe it was called. It was actually, if you know where uh, Arrow Drive is off of the 15 freeway. Yeah. You get off there and I believe you make a left instead of making a right. Like you go to the, to the Arco, you make a yeah. left. I believe it's back over there somewhere. There's like a... An office building they had like in the back, they had like a field, like a practice field. You That's know. cool. I want to know where the Padres practice. That would be super awesome. Yeah, I'm not too sure where they practice. Um, it just made me think about that because like the kids have been practicing out on the field, but poor little guys, they have had such a rough go of the beginning of their season because it's like rainstorm after rainstorm after rainstorm. And yeah. Yeah, it makes you wonder how people do it in towns that have lots and lots of rain, like all the time. Maybe There's, do they have indoors? Um, Is there such a thing as an indoor Little League? I don't know. Maybe practice indoor, maybe. But batting cages? Yeah, but oh, there is a batting cage there, I noticed, too, at this place, too. I didn't even see it because it was, it was towards the other end of the field. This place actually has a, quite a bit of stuff there at this um, facility, way more than I had when I was a kid. I was telling Jacob, like, my Little League had, like, two fields and it had a really tiny little snack bar that was the size of like a coffee table. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it was super small. 
but they did have an upstairs section that had like the announcers would like call the call the games and oh yeah i remember how exciting it was when i was in little league and they when you come up the bat and they call your name when you come with the bat and mm-hmm. you're like super excited you know and it you felt special and then we did the um i don't remember doing any kind of events like i did today like they did the kind of stuff picture day and that kind of thing and all that but it, Probably because my league was so small, there's there wasn't as many people there as there are, and you know, so many kids like there is in this one. I mean, this one, there's so many people. It was like so crazy today. You would have hated all the people that were there. It was just a madhouse of people. Why would you say that? Well, I think it's just. Do you think I'm an introvert? No, I am an introvert. No, you are not. You are the worst. You are not an introvert. What are you talking about? You are an extrovert to the extreme. You want everybody to. Pay attention to you. It's only on the podcast, babe. No, but, but in real life, I'm no, like, real I'm, life, like, you're an I'm like, I'm the turtle. Babe. No, you're not. <laughs> I'm a lizard or snake. I'm a turtle. Uh, we're both turtles, really. No, you're a snapping turtle. Uh, okay, sure. It talks a lot. <laughs> a snapping turtle that snaps at me. I was yeah. thinking of snapping. Didn't Clover snap at you tonight? Oh goodness, she was. She was on the couch with me. And I was talking to her and I had her little baby in my hand. And when I you didn't, say baby, what do you mean by that? Uh, she has this little, it's like a little moose. It's like, I don't know, maybe four inches long, five inches at the most. And it's just, it's mouth size for her. And it's Kong brand, which they're very sturdy. The Kong toys are. We, we've given her, we gave her this moose when she first came home to live with us. And so it's one of her babies. So Clover has an array of babies. She's like, <laughs> she's like a little kid that when you go into their bedroom and you like right, look at their yeah. bed and they have like 40 stuffed animals and they want to sleep with all of them. And so they just like kind of like nestle in between them. Clover has like 15 babies in her playpen with her. And so we just rotate them out, but she plays with all of them. They just kind of like lay there in the side. So she had she she chooses different babies that she favors. She's been favoring the moose lately. The moose has been going everywhere with her. And so I had the moose in my hand and um she just like snapped on me. Like she snapped on my hand and she no actually way. I think cuz normally I'll play tug of war with her and I had it in my hand but I was talking with you and so my head, my head was turned away from her and I had my hand lifted up like she was right there like like doing her little like that little thing and so that's her I love think, language by yeah because we play and so i think she thought that i was gonna give it to her and i must have moved my hand or something and then she snapped and she actually nibbled on me a little bit and i was no. like ah! like clover i was like no biting and then she was like just like I that. Know, she was so sad. But she was super happy that we're all home, that you're home, I'm home, kids are here. Yeah. She gets excited. She gets so excited. But when you're gone and I'm gone and she's just like hanging out in her little playpen, just kind of chilling, yeah. you know. But she's a good girl. You know, she really is. I loved when you were watching the Oscars tonight that you finally got her to settle down. I got the cutest photo of her sitting on your lap, and both of you are like fixated on the TV <laughs> together. And then I got that photo. And then I think she noticed that I was watching. She like looked over at me with eyes like, yeah, mom, I've got your man. And oh, so I took a fa- picture. Play favorites. Yeah. Like, who's your favorite Clover? Yeah, I was going to ask, who's your favorite? You know? Yeah. And then she'll, so like last night when she got in, well, she doesn't sleep with us in bed, but before she goes to bed, we typically will like snuggle with her for just a few minutes. And so 
she came into the bed and she just like sat right next to me and cuddled right up next to me. And you were like, Clover, who's your favorite? And she was just like, like bundled up right next to my head. And she just like looked at you like my mom is. Don't talk to me. <laughs> I know you picked her up, you know, up in Seattle and brought her home. And I'm her mama. You're, she, you are such her favorite because I walk home and she's like, hey, what's up, dad? <laughs> and when you walk home, it's like. It's like the it's like New Year's Eve midnight. You know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so on that note, I am speaking of pets. I've had it's been a hard week for a number of my friends. So at the end of not the week that we just started, but like a week ago, I had four friends within 24 hours lose their pet. No like, way. Like Yeah, like, passed like, away. Oh, pat not just run away. No, no, passed away. So um, I had three friends on the same day within five hours of each other have their dogs pass away. And they were older, but it's... They were, is it their time, you think? I think, but it still doesn't make it easy. And I like know. two were expected where it was like they knew that their dog was kind of in the final days. And then one of my clients, they lost their dog and oh gosh, he was such a cutie. And I just felt so bad for them because he was... For the groom, it was like his best buddy. And like when I met them, I met the dog and he's like, he was getting so old that he was having, he was little, like a little uh, English bulldog and he was having to be, or maybe he was a pug. No, he was a pug and he had to be like carried outside, but he'd lived a like a good long life, like 13 or 14 years. Is that, is that the normal length of a dog? That's a long time for a dog. I mean, when they get up to like 11, 12, like if you think of it in terms of, people always talk about dog years. It's 70 years, so human, well, it's, right? it's saying it's not saying that's how old they are. It's saying that's the age of their body, that their body ages seven times faster. So like while Clover is actually two, her body is 14 years old. And she acts like it too. She She's acts like, like a 14 year old. Yeah. Sassy. I'm going to the mall. You can't tell me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> I have my friends. Yeah. But that's um, when they get up to 12, you got to be thinking that their body structurally is like that of a 90 plus year old person. And so it's arthritic and they start to have health problems and vision problems, hearing yeah, problems. And it's just an incontinence problems. And it's just like, it's really hard, but I just wanted to take a moment and just say our condolences to all of our friends that have had a loss in their family. Because for so many of my friends, actually for all four, my three friends plus my my clients, they don't have like physical biological children. Their pets are their children. And so like that deep of a loss is just so hard. You know, I know that um, you always hear the rumor of people saying, oh, that cat lady or the lady with all the cats or the or the pets or whatever. But when you get older and lonely and and I, I get it, I, mean, I get it. Like if you're if you're an empty nester and um, you live by yourself and I would like a cat or or a, a some kind of companion, a right? Dog, something, especially a dog, probably dog, preferably probably than a cat because cat boy, it seems kind of weird. I don't know. <laughs> why but it just depends but i mean you're allergic to cats anyways but for me when you're gone i talk to clover all the time and she just like looks at me and we have little conversations together well, that's funny and- i say that because when you're gone clover and i do some podcasts we'll hang out here in the office and we'll yeah. just like work on the computer like today where she sit on my lap and work on the computer and stuff until uh the, the other kids came home and she's like what who's here someone's here <laughs> 
All right. So, but she was mellow for a minute until that happened. Yeah. Well, it's so funny. Okay. So this morning when we were having coffee in the front room, so everybody, Chris and I, we have uh, like a TV room, but then we have like a formal front sitting room and we have these two chairs where we sit and we have coffee every morning. You are my coffee maker. You're my barista every morning. And then learn from the best baby. Yeah. And then we let Clover out to run around first thing in the morning I normally keep her in her. Well, once she comes out of her kennel, she goes in her playpen um, until you wake up, which this morning you were up first. But anyways, she was running around and then out of nowhere, she just starts like barking at the air in the corner. And I was like, uh, what is going on? And then she like turned and she barked at something else. And I was like, I don't know what's going on right now. Like, is there something in our house? And I just said, hey, Clover, whoever it is, they're friendly. So just be nice to them. And I was like, we're all friends here. And she just kind of was like, and then we thought it was maybe birds or something. But she's done that a couple of times where lately we're like out of the blue. She'll start barking. And she don't tell me this house is haunted. No, 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 it's not. It's not. The other day she did it out of the blue and she was going ballistic. And I was like, what's going on? And then I saw back by the Bougainvillea bush in the backyard, the little black and white feral cat from the neighborhood was like perched there in the bush. And I was like, oh, Clover, so you do know that that's a cat. Okay. I caught her. Uh, actually, I saw a squirrel in her backyard, which I'd never seen a squirrel in my life here. I've seen him like in the woods and mm-hmm. you know, on vacation out in the country and stuff. Like out in, like. Are you sure it wasn't a gopher? No, it actually was a full on squirrel oh. because it ran across our grass. and It was on the rock area, the brick area. And it was sitting there doing its thing, chilling. I, said, I grabbed Clover. I said, Clover, look at the squirrel. At first, she didn't see it. And then the squirrel did a few movements with its head. <laughs> and the squirrel was like, what? Oh, I see you now. And she she was she was like radar sucked into the squirrel's doing. The squirrel walked almost by the front door, by the back door over here, oh. over there by the left side of the grass. That's walk, funny. Walking over there, and squirrel and squirrel, Clover was like fixing like, whoa, what's that? <laughs> and then, um, but she saw the squirrel. It's nice thing about her playpen is that she does actually get to see outside from her playpen. I just thought yeah. about that the other day. I was like, oh yeah, she has like outside window. Yep, right by her. She has a she's a window office really. Yeah, she has a room with a view. <laughs> Yeah, nothing's too good for our baby. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, we've got exciting things coming up soon. Uh, We are getting ready. We are almost to my birthday week. I mean, technically, we could call it birthday week since my birthday is on a Monday, a week from tomorrow. Um, Then I guess technically we're kicking off birthday week for me. So what do you have planned? Everything. Which means nothing. <laughs> Last night we were on a date. Just Everything the two of special. Us. It, you know, you know, it's like that title of movie that won the best Oscar day. What? Uh, everything, everything everywhere, everywhere all, all at once. once. That's, that's your birthday. That's, that's just for you. You're such a goofball at dinner last night when we were on our date. I was like, so what's the plan for my birthday? And you were like, well, babe, what do you want? And I'm like, see, it doesn't work that way. If I have to tell you what I want, it like takes away the fun. No, I didn't say that. What I did tell you was. Is that you can have anything you want, as long as it's at Costco for the exact dollar amount of the gift certificate I have. You're such a brat. <laughs> I spend so much money on you, and you're like, um, whatever it is, as long as I don't have to actually pay for it. No, I'm paying for. It. I'm, you know, you're not. It's a gift card. Uh, kind of, but yeah, mm-hmm. okay. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Anyway, so what's the plan? I don't know. 
<laughs> well, friends, if you have some advice for Chris on what he should do, we actually are going to go out for dinner on my birthday next Monday. By the way, you need to let your parents know. Sandy, oh, if you're put listening, it, put in my calendar. Sandy, if you're listening, because she always listens, we're going to go to dinner for my birthday on Monday night. So mark your calendar. Olive Garden. That's what I want to do. Oh, really? We talked about this. I love Olive Garden. You yeah. know what? It goes back to a, a time when... Uh, we were celebrating. Well, my sister took me to Olive Garden when I was like a preteen and I'd always wanted to go to Olive Garden. It was like 30 miles away from our house. And it was like it was when Olive Garden was newer on the scene of restaurants. And I thought it was newer. Like, yeah. I think been around since like the Stone Age. No, I mean, not that I had access to. And I went and I thought it was so delicious. And my sister, we went one time and then I told my sister that I would love to go to Olive Garden for my birthday. When we went before, I saw that they used to have these little um, black chocolate cakes. Or not brown, black, but brown chocolate cakes. They were like, I don't know, like four inches and they would write happy birthday on them and they would bring them out and they would sing wow. Buona Festa, what a joyous day. They would do their little Italian. No way. Yeah. So they would do that. And I was like, I want to do that sometime. And so I'd said that to my sister, Kim. And then for my birthday um, that year, she took me out to Olive Garden, just the two of us to treat me to dinner. And I still remember to this day, like how special I felt that my sister took me like we dressed up and it was just the two of us. And I mean, she was in like college, but we're five years different. So I was quite a bit younger than her. Um, So I think she was maybe in like her first year of college. So maybe I was like eighth grade or maybe I was a freshman. And um, I just remember Olive Garden, for some reason, makes me think of birthdays. And so that's what I love to do. I know there's people that are like, oh, it's fake Italian food. I love fake Italian food. How I dare love they? How Olive dare Garden. They? I, I went know. around. I went to a tour Italy every time I go there. <laughs> You're such a goofball. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I'm just I'm looking forward to my birthday. I'm looking forward to this week getting to go up and uh, work in Central California and spend the weekend with Ezekiel and. Um, I just can't believe that he's 18 now and almost out of high school. Yeah. Well, uh, I can't believe it either. I just met him. I mean, when I met him the first time, I feel like I just met him, which was when he was like 13, right? Yeah. I think he was like, yeah, right around 13. Can you so believe So right around been... Jacob's age when I met him. Yeah. We've been together for almost five years. Can wow. you believe that? You know what, babe? I can't imagine meeting with anybody else ever. ever. I, I don't, I, you know, my memory only goes back five years. So it's all I remember is you. Oh, thank you. Because everything else is just like a blur. It is, it is like a nightmare I want to forget. <laughs> You're so sweet. Well, we have a fantastic guest on our episode this week. We talk about family. We talk about the importance of keeping open communication with your kids and lessons learned about you know parenting. And just it's a really unique story. And we hope that you will stay tuned. And we're going to be back with our guest right after this. Enjoy listening to podcasts and ever wonder, can I make a podcast? But it seems so complicated and good audio production can take time. What if there was a way to create an amazing podcast easily? Well, now there is. Introducing Podcasting Made Easy from Podtastic Audio. My production team will handle your entire audio production, allowing you to be the star of your show. This is podcasting made easy. How easy? Well, so easy, you don't even have to press record. 
Now that's easy. Your listeners are waiting. Let's deliver. Sign up for a free strategy call today at podtasticaudio.com slash easy. And welcome back, everybody. Today, we have another fantastic VIP guest. He is an author and a family recovery coach. Welcome to the show, Daryl Rogers. Hey, thanks for having me on. Hey, Daryl. Thanks for joining us today, man. Where in the world are you visiting from? I'm in Cary, North Carolina, right outside of Raleigh. Raleigh. Huh? Oh, that's interesting. So I have, so I work in the wedding industry. I'm a wedding planner and florist. And one of my favorite local San Diego wedding florists is moving to Raleigh in just a couple of weeks. So it's small world. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a growing, it's been growing since we've been here, but it continues to boom. Yeah, I've been out to Carolina a few times. I had, I lived in Charlotte and then I went to a wedding in Asheville. It's been a while though since I've been out there, but North Carolina, a lot of green out there, I remember. Oh, yeah. A lot of trees. Yep. Now, are you originally from the North Carolina area or are you a transplant? I'm from South Carolina, so not too far away. Moved here in 1990. I was flying at the time. I was a pilot and took a job here and moved here in 1990 and been here here ever since. Now, for people that are not from North or South Carolina, I always wonder, is there a duel between the two states, like where like mm-hmm. the North thinks that they're better than the South, or are there jokes that are made about the other state? Like who's the who's the better one? Mm, maybe a little bit. I haven't heard any of those jokes in a long time. But <laughs> what I do hear, you know, and being a South Carolina native and having family and friends in South Carolina. The, rive, the big rivalry there is between University of South Carolina and Clemson. Oh. That's always a big rivalry. In College, state. huh? Is it just oh, rivalry yeah. like football or is it all sports? Mostly football. Got it. Are you a big football fan? I am. I follow more. I follow, I don't follow the NFL as much as I used to, but okay. I do keep up with the college football a little bit. And both of my boys played high, all the way through high school football. And, and well, our youngest one played through college at, at a Division two school. Oh, wow. Well, that definitely, football must have been part of your life quite a bit during that time, for sure. <laughs> Yeah, we have, you know, it's one thing that we have done together, my wife and I, you know, it's a big deal us going to all of their football games from the time they were just toddlers, a little bit older than that, but from very, very early age, you know, just traveling to all of the, going to the practices and, and I've been an assistant coach on some of the, on some of their, you know, pre-high school teams. And anyway, we, we've always enjoyed it. We, we like it. Hey, Daryl, how, how old would, or how young could a kid be to play tackle football what's the age on that i'm not too sure at least out there anyways you know it's been so long but i'm trying to remember now i want to say our youngest one now our oldest one chase he started a little bit later with football he started with soccer and and uh, but justin the youngest one he started playing at like i want to say five or six years old or something like that with pads and everything and a whole whole, whole helmet and everything huh 
Yeah, everything. You know, I've learned a lot about football over the years, and I don't know that I would encourage that. Anymore. <laughs> you know, it's it's a tough sport, and and there are a lot of kids that do you know end up, but particularly in in high school, you know, with concussions. When they're when they're that young, they typically can't get going fast enough to right. to you know to have a concussion. But uh, but there are things that things happen, you know. Right. Yeah. Well, our middle son, he just turned 13, but he was on the football team at school. It was a flag football team, but he was on it for the first time. And you know, he and here in California, we do it's not junior high, it's middle school. So it's sixth, seventh and eighth. So in sixth grade, he was like the low man on the totem pole and didn't really get into anything. And then seventh grade, now he's big man on campus and getting into football mm. and starting to get that little middle school attitude like I'm too cool for school because I'm a football player now <laughs> and, and you mentioned raising boys did that happen to them when they started to get into football where it's like they start getting a little bit too big for their britches I don't know if we really went through that phase or not a little bit maybe you know they're both of my boys their personalities are so different you know, Chase, the oldest, very, uh, very easygoing, laid back, quiet. Even though he was he was diagnosed ADHD, he and he could be very hyper at times. But and then then, you know, our youngest one, Justin, they're seven years apart. Justin, very, very different. You know, he's still a little bit quiet until he gets to know people. But but just very much more. Uh, he's going to do what he wants to do. Oh, yeah. You know, kinda. <laughs> we know that personality for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, digging into this a little bit. So first of all, thank you for coming on our show. We know we're going to have a really good conversation about some really important topics for parents. And it really centers around the life of your son, Chase. And so before we start digging into that, we'd love to hear a little bit about who Chase is, who Chase was, and what you love the most about your son. Oh, man. Yeah. You know, I covered just a little bit there about his personality, but he had a weird sense of humor also. He could be very quiet, but then he would say things at just the right time to get everybody to laugh. You know, mm -hmm. uh, it's hard to describe if you haven't, if you weren't around him, you know, but, but I like to tease people a lot and could be very, very, very humorous. Just, just had a lot of energy. One girl that he dated described him as she said, he didn't, he didn't walk anywhere he went, everywhere he went, he ran, you know, <laughs> so just, he was always a ball of energy from, from the time he was just you know, a baby, even before he was born, you know, he's constantly kicking and wiggling. You could see a, a dramatic difference between him and Justin. And my wife says the only time she ever saw him get tired was when the day that he learned to walk. And he finally collapsed in the hall, you know, where he was walking back <laughs> and forth and, and just, and just, you know, said, okay, I've had enough. But that, you know, I mean, just, just a ball of energy, but a quiet kind of shy kid. So did he have a big friend circle? Like he have a lot of close friends or was he kind of like more of a, a loner a little bit, you know? Kind of more of until he got, until he really moved. He, he more of a loner until he got to military school, I think is where it really started to change. He, he transferred middle of his junior year to a military school and everybody wanted to be, all the kids at night, wanted to be in Chase's room with he and his roommate. They would all go down there and they would all, you know, 
cut up and and hang out and laugh and whatever they were doing. <laughs> that's where they did it, you know. And what is military school? Is that like a military academy for individuals that want to go to school or is it a setting for parents who are trying to help their children stay on track? It may be different for different schools, but this particular school, and I think most of them are are, are very similar, at least here in the in our region, there are a lot of kids who end up going there who are who have some disciplinary issues or something is going on, you know, in their life, and their parents are kind of feel like they're losing control. And that's where I was with Chase, and and feel like the you know the discipline and structured environment would be good, and so that you know that's why we sent him there. But you know, he was never in a lot of any kind of bad trouble or anything like that. It wasn't, it wasn't like that, but yeah, sure. Some of the kids there were, but then, you know, they, they, they got into to some probably pretty serious trouble before they ended up there. But then there are kids who come there who end up going to one of the service academies. So, you know, they, they do help the, they do help a lot of kids bring their grades up and, and Chase's grades have been average and then started to slip in the 10th grade. But when he got there to the military school, they did help him bring his grades up considerably. Nice, yeah. So we know from reading a bit about your story before this episode that you lost your son, Chase. How many years ago was that? Let's see, that was in 2014, May the 29th, 2014. We're very sorry for your loss. I know that that even, even though the years have passed, that it's definitely something that a parent never gets over. Would you mind sharing with us a little bit of the circumstances surrounding what led to Chase's ultimate death? Sure. You know, and you're right. A parent never does get over losing a child. It's just, you you can learn how to move on with your life and and, and have a fulfilling happy, productive life and, and find purpose and uh, and have a lot of happiness and, and, you know, good times with family and friends. But it is one of those things that you never completely just get over that. You just don't. But uh, yeah, in, in probably about, as, as I alluded to earlier, in the, about the middle of his sophomore year, he began to, his, his grades were dropping. He was failing Spanish. He'd never failed anything before. He was becoming rebellious at home, and you know there were some. There was a few other things. I caught him in a couple of lies, you know, that were kind of big. And he had never lied to me before about anything. And I just, I couldn't. I knew he was headed in a bad direction. I just sensed it, but I, I didn't know what was going on. And having a military background myself, I felt like you know, with this ADD, ADHD, I felt like the uh, the structured environment. And the discipline at the military school would be good. So we transferred him there middle of his junior year by the time we we got him moved there. And he, you know, he went from being a small fish in a in a big pond in terms of the football to a big fish in a small pond. And he really was a, a, a standout his his senior year, even though he wasn't very big. And there are a lot of good football stories around that. But he he ended up going to college at a um, smaller school, kind of like there is, it's in the NAIA conference, but on the D2 level, division okay. two level. Yeah. Ended up going there and he, on a, on a partial ride scholarship, he was like 5'10", 100 and 
55 pounds, you know, when he showed up for college okay. football camp. But uh, but really fast and a good athlete. And uh, anyway, but it was shortly after he arrived there that he began to hang out with people who were abusing drugs and alcohol. So he dropped out second semester of his freshman year, came back home and gravitated to a rough crowd at home and, and eventually ended up moving out. I kept up with him on social media and he was losing weight rapidly, looking pale, glassy eyed. I would see pictures he would post look like he was in a hotel room with a bunch of friends. It looked like they were all strung out on drugs. You know, that was the way it appeared to me. And I became alarmed and eventually ended up having an intervention for, we hired an interventionist, had an intervention for Chase in our home. So through that intervention, we were able to get him into treatment in South Florida. He was in treatment for 30 days and then went to a halfway house, bounced around to several different halfway houses, and then eventually came back home and was after about nine months and was doing a lot better. Staying away from the people who had been a bad influence before. He got a job. He was going to IOP intensive outpatient care two nights a week. All of Chase's really good friends and his family, we all felt like we had the old Chase back. Wow. But uh, he began to relapse uh, probably uh, seven, eight months, eight months later, I would what, guess. What do you think was the catalyst for that relapse? Was there something going on in his that's life? A, that- that's a really good question. You know, it's not uncommon for people who have an addiction to relapse after treatment. And there are a lot of different reasons for that. And, uh, you know, th- th- anything can trigger them and, and make them feel stress. And then they feel like they, they've learned that their their drug of choice, whether it's alcohol or, or something else, it, it relieves stress. And it's, it's a bad, it's not a good coping mechanism, but it is the one that they know that gives them some relief in the moment. And anything can trigger them. I would say that one thing that I did that I, I discourage parents from doing usually, every case is different. But, you know, I got a call one night from the the halfway house, the the guy that was managing the the halfway house. Actually, it was it was it might have been late morning. It was a long drive down to Florida from from where we are. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't remember 13, 14 hours, but he called me and said, Mr. Rogers, I'm kicking Chase out and he's going to be out on the street and wow. I want to come down here and pick him up. And long story behind all of that. But but I picked him up and he moved back in. Well, I, usually moving back in is not a good is not a good thing because um you know there are things inside of the relation the family dynamics and the relationship with the family that can lead to it you know that can trigger an addict and lead to a relapse and so it's usually not a good idea for them to move back in it's usually a good a better idea for them to either well he had had some time in a halfway house but you know it was time for him to, to kind of move out on his own. I didn't feel like he was ready for that. And I mm-hmm. don't think he did either, but you know, moving back in, it just sets up some dynamics that, that aren't good. I can definitely see how that would be. And I could see from a parent's perspective, as you're telling the story, I'm thinking, no, he can't be by himself. Like in me, right. the mom's like, mama bear got to come and rescue right. him. Well, first right, I'm like, right. well, first of all, how is he going to hold down a job and support himself? And second of all, in my mama brain, it would be like being by himself in his own place is going to set him up for failure faster than if he's home where I can quote unquote watch him 24 seven, which, mm-hmm. you know, looking at it, I'm, I'm hearing myself reacting like that. And then I'm thinking through the lens of, you know, an outsider or somebody that, you know, 
doesn't want them to relapse thinking, oh, well, being watched 24-7 could make them feel like they can't do anything right and reinforce whatever shame spiral is kind of feeding into that addiction in their head. And so it it feels like from the outside looking in that there's it's a no-win situation. So you did the best that you could is what I'm hearing. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, the, the, the other piece of that is when when a person who's struggling with addiction is when they're in treatment and if they go from treatment to a halfway house or sober living home or some steps like that, that is the perfect time for the family to be diving into as much education as possible as they can possibly get in terms of addiction and how to communicate and how to relate with their addicted loved one. And I didn't do that. And I think it's just because I didn't know enough to know that I really needed to do that. And I, I think it's a common a common thing that happens with parents where they, they get into this situation where they feel like, well, why do I need to go to therapy or why do I need to learn more about addiction? I'm not the one with the problem. You know, I sent them off to treatment and they're supposed to fix this problem, but that's not how it works. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I completely can empathize with that. So <clears throat> my first spouse, he struggled with an addiction. It wasn't drugs or alcohol, but I remember that when he finally was open to getting help, we entered into a recovery program together. It was an outpatient, but it was three hours every Saturday where, you know, we were in education classes together and then separate, you know, he was going through his recovery therapy and I was going through the partner's therapy. And I would say that that was really hard to have mm -hmm. to navigate through because I was having to relearn things like how can not having healthy boundaries actually perpetuate the breeding ground for the addiction to still flourish. And at the time I walked in and I'd had family members that had gone through different types of addiction, but still thinking that addiction was a choice versus addiction as a disease. And so mm -hmm. is that something that you and your wife had to navigate through? Is this making sense of what addiction as a disease looks like? You know, we kind of had our separate journeys on that, mm -hmm. even though, you know, we, we're, you know, we've been together or uh, since, since 1990, we got married in 1990. So going on 33 years, but uh, you know, we just, we just kind of navigated it somewhat separately. And, and of course we talked about it, but, uh, but we had our own paths uh, to trying to understand and, you know, there's a, there's a lot of different ways to look at addiction. I guess I have over, it has taken me a long time, even after Chase's death, to to become more understanding and and not being judgmental of people who have are have an addiction or are struggling with, with substance use disorder. So it's been a journey for me, and, and neither one of us had dealt with addiction before with our family or friends. And so it was just really, we were blindsided. And so, yeah, even after Chase died in the wreck, I still did not, I didn't get it. It took a long time. How did, you said Chase died in a wreck. Was he driving under the influence? 
He was actually a passenger in the front seat of his car. He, let's see, I didn't get to that part of the story before, but he had, uh, as he was beginning to relapse, you know, he, he told me that he said, dad, I'm hanging around a rough crowd again. I'm headed in a bad direction. I said, I know Chase and I could just sense it. And he said, I'm going to move. I don't know how to get away from, I know I need to break ties with these people, but I don't know how to. So I'm going to move back to Florida, back to the area where I was in treatment. He had already taken a job transfer. He told me when he was planning to leave and I told my wife. And so anyway, the day that he was supposed to, he was supposed to come by and eat with us before leaving. And apparently the night before there was a big going away party and Mm. a lot of drugs and alcohol consumed at that party. So he woke up, he and his, some of his friends woke up late the next morning feeling hungover. This was a, this part, I can't say for sure this is what happened, but this is the, I have good reason to believe that this is what happened. This was one of the rumors that we heard. And uh, they went to a park near our home to smoke a bowl of marijuana because they felt like um, that would help them with their, with their nausea that they were experiencing. They were, they were having some hangover from the night before. And so anyway, they, they did, this part was in the police report. They did go to the park. They did all smoke marijuana there together. And then they got in the car, Chase got in the front passenger seat. He let an 18 year old girl that he had dated get behind the wheel of his car. They, they weren't currently dating, but he let her drive and another young man got in the back seat and they left that park, made one quick stop to grab a bite to eat. And then they only went a couple of miles out on I-40, rush hour traffic. She lost control of his car in a curve, running about 70. And it left the road, struck a chase, died at the scene. And mm-hmm. the other two, it took about almost an hour for them to the for the emergency personnel to get them out of the vehicle it was just kind of really wrapped around this tree and oh, wow. so they they transported them to the hospital right away with serious injuries so once they got them out and then several weeks later they both the return home to continue their recovery at home but then the 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 girl that had been driving died after a fire broke out in her apartment she she set her apartment on fire oh, and no. uh, she she died from her burns the next day she so set her own apartment were, on fire huh yeah, two two suicide notes that were left. The yeah, the the fire chief said that they believe that she just poured gasoline in the middle of her apartment in the floor and and stood in the middle of it and ignited it. So uh, we had gotten to know her mother, and she's a really nice lady. And um, you know, it just kind of reopened the wounds. You know, now we're going to her funeral. Right. So wow. Um, so, yeah. So with what you've been through, we know that as we talked about, you don't get over it. You start Mm. to heal. But I know that from reading a little bit about your bio, that you've tried to take some of what you've learned from Chase's life and your journey and pay it forward by helping other families as a family recovery coach. Can you talk with us a little bit about what a family recovery coach is and why some families need it? Yes. And if you don't mind, I'm going to start out. I'll tell you just a little bit about how I got to that point. Absolutely. Um, it, it, and, and this has been healing for me. This journey has been very healing. Um, so a lot of different reasons why I do it, but it's part of my healing process. I, I started out, I wrote a book about Chase in, that I released in 2015. 
And it's the title of that book is A Life Half Lived, A True Story of Love, Addiction, Tragedy, and Hope. And it was really just a memoir. At that at that time, I didn't still didn't understand addiction. Mm. And I was just, I vented in that book, but it seems to have resonated with a lot of people. And then in 2016, I began doing prevention speaking, and I still do prevention speaking to this day. And I'm, I'm on the state advisory board for North Carolina Mothers Against Drunk Driving. I do get a bit of speaking with them. And like I said, all of that has been healing. I love talking to people after I speak. You know, people, a lot of times the young people come up to me and we have a conversation. And and we've had some really good conversations after those talks. But uh, then I started into, someone told me about a, a group named PAL, Parents of Addicted Loved Ones. It's a peer support group for parents who have a son or daughter with a drug or alcohol addiction. And they also, if, if you have another family member, you know, the spouses, you know, they also accept spouses. It's just primarily geared towards parents. And I attended a meeting, and this was pre-COVID. I attended a meeting, and the lady that was running the PAL meeting asked me, it was at a local church here, and she asked me if I would become a co-facilitator, and I did. And several months later, she ended up leaving, and I've been running that meeting ever since uh, as a facilitator. And I just facilitate the discussions. You know, PAL has the lessons and everything for people, and that's a free resource for for any parents out there, it is PAL is a is a nonprofit that's nationwide. And when COVID hit, we went online with my meeting. Mm-hmm. A lot of the meetings have gone back to in person. PAL does have a a national online Zoom meeting, and then have you know there there are regional meetings like mine, like the one I facilitate that are scattered out different regions across the country. But PAL got me interested in going to the next step, which was beginning to coach parents because some there are some parents who need more than just a peer support group, and and I always encourage parents to you know depending on their situation to to go find a therapist that specializes in in their the types of things that they're dealing with. But a, a family recovery coach is a little bit different. Most family recovery coaches have, we're not, we're not licensed counselor, most of us. And, uh, you know, we're usually parents who have either, you know, a recovered addict or a parent who has, who has walked the path, you know, mm, and sometimes mm-hmm. who that has lost sense, a yeah. child. So that way we can, we can help parents who are going through something with their child, we can, we can, we can sort of direct them towards the right resources early on. You know, we can help later on in the journey as well with helping them with the chronic worry, enabling, you know, setting those healthy boundaries, all of that. But specifically early on, you know, we can help them navigate the treatment system, help them figure out if, you know, ways to maybe strategies to help them get into their kids, get into treatment, the best treatment options out there for them, that sort of thing. I could imagine that that would be very helpful for parents that are walking through that journey because I, I've i known from seeing family members in my own family struggle with their adult children of addiction that there's a certain amount of, I don't want to say secrecy, but almost shame. Like I can't talk to other people about it because it's a taboo subject and I don't want to air my dirty laundry. And so in that kind of environment, who is a parent to talk to? Because I th- I think that society doesn't yet understand enough about addiction as a disorder and as a disease to where 
people still can pass judgment on parents as if like you haven't done something right as a parent that led to your child becoming an addict. So do you find that that's a helpful role that you play in working as this family recovery coach? Is that like person that can empathize and reaffirm that they're doing the right thing so that parents don't feel so isolated? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Most parents, and, and that, again, that's where not just PAL, but other peer support groups come in handy, but because because they need to be around other people who are going through the same thing. And, you know, in terms of, of what I do um, as a family recovery coach, you know, it is that shame and guilt is something almost every parent goes through. And wondering what they did wrong. And, and sometimes, you know, society kind of piles on, you know, mm-hmm. they, they don't realize that people are already struggling with that. And then it's just, it's just really, it's really difficult to deal with when people, especially if it's someone in your own family or a friend or someone who just doesn't understand what's going on. But certainly there are, you know, in, in terms of hereditary situations, you know, there, there is a, there's a genetic component to addiction. You know, there, there's so many variables that play into it. And it's, it sometimes is, it's really, really hard to figure out exactly what caused it. You know, exactly what the, you know, you can usually identify some contributing factors, but you may not be able to, to figure out what is the number one thing, what's really going on. But there's so many different factors. Um, you know, I tell parents, you know, there, there's, there's a video I have on over on TikTok <laughs> that, <laughs> where I talk about the six C's and I didn't invent this. I, I can't, you know, the, the first three come from a, a peer support group called Al-Anon and it is you didn't cause it, you can't control it, and you can't cure it. Now, the next three I added on, and then I found out later somebody else was on a similar path. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm going to say that, you know, I, I didn't take these. I, I didn't borrow these three. <laughs> so they are that you can contribute to the problem or you can contribute to the solution. Mm-hmm. Communication is key. Improving your communication skills. And you can change. And that's the one big thing that I think a lot of parents, particularly early on, don't understand is there's really only one person in this in this situation that you have control over, and that's yourself. And uh, you can change the way you relate to your child, and you can influence them in positive ways, and that can end up being a catalyst for them going to treatment and getting better. But, you know, it's not, there's no guarantee there. Right. Hey, Daryl, what do you think that you personally could have done differently as a parent before everything escalated with Chase? Hmm. Well, there's a couple of different things. You know, it's hard to say going back to the, you know, the ADHD is another thing that contributes. It seems to, there. there's almost every parent that I talk to, will say when I'll ask, I'll ask one of the first things I ask is, have you, has your child ever been diagnosed ADHD? And it seems like 90% say yes. And so I don't know if, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of variables here. Again, I don't know if the medication has anything to do with it. Sometimes it may, it may not, you know, ADHD people are very impulsive. So that can contribute. But, you know, we we did keep Chase on a very low dosage of Concerta once we started him on it, and we monitored that very closely. I don't know a couple of different ways to look at it. I might have, I might have, you know, 
not put him on any ADHD medication and just homeschooled. And, uh, you know, that would have been tough. And we were looking at doing that at one time. We talked about it and we kind of went back and forth and I eventually decided to to keep both of our boys in, in school. But that's one thing that possibly I could have done different. But probably one of the big things is that, you know, I was kind of the disciplinarian and he would, when he had a problem, he would go to his mother first. And I think this is pretty common, <laughs> but he would go to his mother first and then she would come tell me. And I, I wish I had, uh, we were working on this and we were getting, you know, we were making strides, you know, before he relapsed and died. But, you know, I wish I had, had been a little bit more open. I wish I had, had made him feel more comfortable in coming to me to talk about problems. Yeah, it's kind of hard when, when I guess you probably feel more comfortable talking to one parent versus the other parent. I guess both parents seem to be have good communication to talk to each other about what the problem really is and, and kind of share thoughts and stuff. I would think especially mm-hmm. so between a young man and his father. I know that that is always a a very important relationship, but I do know that for dads, they tend to have to hold up that being the the bulldog or the enforcer. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would say that in this house, the roles are reversed. What are you talking about? <laughs> Is more relaxed with the kids? <laughs> definitely. But, you know, going back to one of the things that you were talking about with the ADHD. So that's definitely a concern that I have. And, you know, we're raising three boys, two of which have those diagnoses. And so our oldest expressed just over the last six months he didn't like the feeling of, of the medication and wanted to try homeopathic types of of approaches to see if it would help his concentration but not have that suppressive feeling on his system. And at first I was like, no, you need the medicine. Like the mom in me is like, it's helping you. And then I had to listen. And it was like, mm-hmm. what is my son telling me? He's telling me that the chemical that he's having to ingest is not making him feel himself and he mm-hmm. doesn't like the mm-hmm. way that it's making his body react. And as a parent, I have to support that because otherwise I'm telling him it's not important to listen to your body. I know better than you do. And what message does that send? And so mm-hmm. like, as you're talking, I'm reflecting and I'm thinking because, you know, in raising children, we don't want to do anything that's going to quote unquote damage them for the future. But I'm also thinking like, are there things that Chris and I can be doing right now to, I don't know if there's a way, I don't want to say prevent, but to create less opportunities for our child Mm -hmm. to pursue that path. Or even if they have a tendency towards addiction to help them to not open that door and to feel that they have enough else around them that that's not something they need. So I don't know if I'm asking that question. What does a parent question. to do really? Right. Yeah. I guess that's yeah, what I'm trying it, to get at. It is, it is tough. That's a really tough question because I mean, you can do everything right and none of us do. Right. Right. <laughs> and, and, and you can still end up in this situation and, you know, I mean, you know, in terms of the, I, I want to address what you asked right there, but in terms of the homeopathic things, I think, you know, Things are beginning to come forth now. I think we're beginning to learn more and more. And I I really would take a hard look for any parent out there that's dealing with a child with ADHD. I would take a hard look at 
um, diet Mm -hmm. or nutrition would be a better term. Nutrition, how often they're eating, you know, and all of the micronutrients and all of that, you know, making sure they're getting everything that they need there. And then, you know, when you when people say homeopathic, one of the first things that comes to my mind is like Delta Eight THC or one of the other types of uh, you know. I know that's not what you're talking oh, about. Oh no, but. not at all. <laughs> Heck no. But uh, but yeah, that that comes up. You know, so some kids will say, "Oh well, I need this Delta Eight THC." And for the parents out there listening and don't know what that is, I don't, I don't want to go into too much about it. But THC is a psychoactive ingredient in marijuana, and Delta Nine is what is consumed. Delta-8 is a little bit different and not supposed to supposedly have any psychoactive properties, but people are having some bad experiences with it. So, so yeah, don't, don't buy into that one. But, um, in coming back to your question about, you know, how to prevent it. One of the things that I think Chase was struggling with, and I, and I think most people at one time or another in their life struggle with is self-esteem. And when when a kid is is struggling with self-esteem, and, and you know what, it's, it's pretty typical to have a lot of self-esteem issues going on when they're a teenager. Right. Because they're going through so many changes, the hormones, you know, the, just everything that's socially, everything's changing and is changing fast. And I think, you know, something I started doing a long time ago, and I wish I had done it more with my boys, was, you know, just d- developing some positive affirmations and, and working on that to try to build up my confidence. And I think the other thing I would say would be to be really, really careful about criticizing them. And here's what I mean. Your your criticism may be intended as constructive, and I'm not saying that you can't ever have any constructive criticism, but be very careful because a lot of times all they hear is the criticism. All the negative, they, not the good. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I would say be very quick to praise anything. Try to catch them doing something good and praise everything that you can, can that you see that they're doing right. And be very, very slow to, to criticize. Well, it's easier said than done, Daryl. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Yeah, it is. It I was, is. I was Espe- thinking- especially when you, you go out in the backyard and uh, all the stuff and toys are just left everywhere. You just had it clean, right? You know. But that's again, <laughs> as a parent, that's the thing to work on. Is if you see yourself jumping into that zone, it's like stopping and reflecting. Like, what's the balance? Are my kids hearing them praise that? Hearing me praise them. As mm-hmm. equally as criticizing, do they feel that they can only do no right in my eyes? Because I think that that's, again, it reinforces that negative tape in mm-hmm. in so many kids' heads around, I'm not good enough, nothing I do is good enough, and you know, tends to lead them to want to escape reality in some way. And not saying that's the only way that leads to addiction, but definitely yeah, can accelerate it. Addiction comes in all forms. You know, I mean, I think in the modern digital world, we see a lot of kids are addicted to their phones and they're addicted yeah. to the screens, the screen time, the TikTok, the YouTube, and, and all of that, which, I mean, all in all, it's all addiction. If you look at it as a whole, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not. It's just some has more long-term physical ramifications than others. Yeah, I would say that it all has some kind of negative ramifications. It just some is more 
obvious. And like you said, some is more of a long term and and not as obvious. The the video games are a big one. Right. Oh um, yeah, we we have that at our house too. Our kids are really into the Xbox, all the PlayStation, mm-hmm. whatever the game. And system. we're having to set boundaries, you know, when they start screaming at it, and mm-hmm. it's like, wait, honey. You're it's way too, game. you're way too emotionally involved. We're going to need to pause your access to this for a couple of hours. Mm-hmm. And then it goes, you know, to a whole other orbit of anger. But that's, uh-huh. you know, for a topic for a different conversation. But you know, Daryl, you've talked a lot about your journey and your coming to grips with understanding the disorder of addiction. What is it that you have available for our listeners, especially if we have a mom or a dad that's listening right now and is navigating this journey, feels super alone and doesn't know what to do? What can you put in their hands that would help them navigate this? Well, I have a lot of different resources. So they can go to thefamilyrecoverycoach.com. And that's a website that I have that they can go there and get some information. I'm still building it. So, you know, but there's some information there. I have a few, there's some videos and there's also a few blog posts there. And that's a good way for them to get in touch with me. And they can also, if they use TikTok, they can go to TikTok. And I have a lot, I haven't put up any videos lately, but I have a lot of really good talk videos and they're short and they're power packed. You know, TikTok limits you to three minutes. Right. And there's, there's, believe it or not, there's some really good information there. And I also have um, a link, three things parents should know.com. Three things. And it's, it's the number three, three, okay. three things parents should know.com. And there is a video that they can get access to there. And it really talks about making decisions and how to be decisive when you're when you find yourself in this situation. It talks about improving your communication skills and also creating healthy boundaries and creating a life for yourself. And so talking about self-care a little bit. So uh, that's really what is in that video. And so I, I would recommend checking out those resources. Fantastic. Awesome. Well, Daryl, we really appreciate your time on the show today and sharing your story about Chase and just being vulnerable with us and letting us know about lessons learned. We know that your story is helping those that you work with in, as a family recovery coach, but I believe that there's people that are listening today that have learned something that may help them save their child's life. And so thank you so much for being here with us and sharing your story. Thank you, Christine and Chris. I really appreciate it. I I appreciate the time with you today. Thanks Thanks so much. Thanks, Daryl. Are you in the middle of wedding planning and feeling overwhelmed? There's no need to fret, my friend. Christine Smith Designs is here to rescue you. Offering wedding planning, coordination, and wedding floral design services, let us help relieve your stress and make your wedding day dreams a reality. Visit us at christinesmithdesigns.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-I-N-E smithdesigns.com and request a free consultation. You'll be so glad you did. Well, I really appreciated Daryl coming on the show and sharing so much of his journey with us. That was very courageous. And I really respect what he has done to help families, um, you know, 
moving forward after you know, they deal with addiction with, with their child? Yeah, I'd say is wow. Um, that was incredible. And yeah, I, I can only imagine what that's like when your child goes through something like that and you're you feel like so helpless on your end as a parent and what to do and where to what what do you do, you know, when mm-hmm. when your child is uh you know, addicted to some, you know, to to substance abuse. And um I can only imagine I always think of my kids and, and Ezekiel, you know, our kids, and I always think that like like hopefully, you know, they don't ever go down that path, but right. but the reality is that the, they could. And I I know that I heard here in the news recently that uh, there was children getting um, sick from taking. Uh, oh, I know what it was. It was from eating um, edible marijuana Ooh. because it looks like little gummy like it looks like gummy bears, right? Right. And these parents, like as who who have them, they get them for whatever they get them from. Leave them out. The kids see them and they think that they're candy. Just candy, yeah. Right. So they even, how do they even taste like candy too? Wow. So they said that the kids usually don't just eat one. Because how, how many kids have you ever seen eat one gummy bear if there's right. a pack out? We'll eat the whole thing <laughs> or all of them, right? Yeah. You know? So that's something that they really think about is that if there's anything for adult con- for consumption that's like uh, edible brownies or any, anything like that or uh, jello shots or whatever. Anything just keep it out of the house or keep, keep it, it very, yeah. very far away. I mean, we don't, we don't bring anything like that in the house. We don't consume anything like that. We try to model for our kids what we believe is the best way to live, which is to avoid ingesting any of those substances. We've recently even sworn off alcohol. Like we're, we're not doing that because we notice. I mean, even if it was just like a drink here or there, we're raising three young men and we, you know, for ourselves, it doesn't allow us to be in the best mindset. And I know that, you know, even with one simple drink that you and I were both getting headachey and we were like, look, we need to show our kids that that's not the way to live. Right. I remember that for the longest time, having the kids when they're very little and especially diapers and things like that, you have to be on your A game, like all the time, taking care of them. There's a situation that went wrong. I, I, I only imagine those parents that, let themselves go, let their kids go. They're just, you know, passed out somewhere in the house where the yeah. kids are kind of fending for themselves and they're like five years old. And I've heard stories like that. That doesn't happen. It's not, right. like it doesn't happen. I never wanted to be that person. So I've always kind of sworn off um, alcohol until I knew that like the kids were taken care of or something, you know, whatever. Yeah. And, then I, and even then I never drank a lot back then either. I, you know, a little bit here and there, but. But we just hope that today's message, it, speaks to you out there, whether you're going through a journey of helping a child navigate through addiction and trying to figure out how to gain support or whether you have yourself overcome addiction and are still on the road to recovery because that road never does end. We want you to be encouraged and know that you're not alone. And we hope that you don't sit in a space of shame, but you reach out and you share your story with others. Um, because just as Daryl shared the journey of his family um, navigating parenting a child through addiction, um, it can bring so much hope and clarity to others to know that this isn't the end of the road and there are other people that can help you through it and uh, there is a way through. And so you know, with that, we just want to thank you all for listening. 
Uh, thank you for tuning into this story. And Chris, where can our listeners find out more about us and our show? Yeah, you can go to our website, which is chrisandchristineshow.com. And there's a link to that in the show notes. Absolutely. And on there, you can connect with our social media channels as well as our separate businesses. And um, you can connect more with us as a family. Connect with us on Instagram. Reach out if you have any questions. We would love to answer them. And um, we just, again, we thank you all for tuning in and we'll be back with you next next week. week.